Susan Niebergall. Jordan Syatt. How you doing, Susan? Good. I'm doing good. How are you? I'm good. We just got off your podcast. Yep, we did. Do you want to tell everyone what the name of your podcast is? Yes. It's called the Strong and Lean at Any Age podcast, and Jordan and I record over on my podcast as well as one here. Every single month? Every month. One on Susan's, one on mine. So if yep. you enjoy these conversations, you will equally enjoy the conversations on her podcast. You can go check that out. Now, what we do is we get questions from our Instagram, and we surprise the other one with the questions that we <laughs> yeah. pick and we just do a, like basically a Q&A style format here on the podcast um, so if you would like us to answer your questions when we put up Q&As on our Instagram make sure you ask and there's a strong chance that we will answer them for you so with that being said I'm going to get right into the first question this is a question that I get all the time and I haven't answered on Instagram or on YouTube or on podcasts it's going to be the first time I oh. ever asked this question uh, or answer this question um, publicly the main reason I haven't answered this question is because I hate when people ask me questions about a specific company or mm-hmm. a specific individual, um, but I've seen enough advertising from this company and enough horse shit from this company that I was like, you know what? Fuck it. Let's talk about it. So Diamond in the Fluff, which is an amazing, amazing Instagram handle, Diamond in the Fluff asked, <laughs> is the Lumen Metabolic Breath thingy worth it oh. or is it trash? Uh, and as just as a brief background, Lumen is this company and this this product that you're apparently supposed to breathe into it, and it will tell you what your metabolism is doing. Are you burning fat for fuel? Are you burning carbs for fuel? And they've advertised this as uh, an abil- this this tool that will allow you to more efficiently burn fat and to and to change your metabolism in an optimal way so that you can lose fat more quickly and easily. Um, Susan, what do you think about Lumen? <laughs> I, listening to that, um, I just want to pound my head against a wall. <laughs> I, I think I, that, that if there's anybody out there that after you hear what it is and what it supposedly does, thinks for one second that this could be like your shortcut. This is it. This is the thing. Yep. This is the thing that's going to change everything. I mean... What's going to be next? You yeah. know, I, there's some crazy stuff out there, and and I think this is just one of them. And it's so frustrating because people want to. I understand people are frustrated with not reaching their goals or whatever, and they're just desperate. Yeah, is what it is. Yep. And and they will believe anything, um, but don't, <laughs> don't believe this stuff. I, um, it's it makes me really angry. Yeah. You know, because it, it's it's hurting more than it's helping anybody. <laughs> So what we have to remember is what Lumen is saying is it's doing is it's saying that it's able to tell you which fuel source your body is using in order to fuel its metabolism, in order to fuel your, your body, right? And so it, it's saying that it can tell you are you mainly using energy from carbohydrates or from fat. Now, I don't know if it can accurately do that or not, but I'm going to explain why it's irrelevant anyway. Because if you've been listening to me or Susan for long enough, you know the only way to lose fat is to be in a calorie deficit. But what they're insinuating is that if you're using carbs for fuel, then you cannot be losing fat because your body is using carbohydrates. So a lot of what people will do is they will eliminate carbs and only eat foods that are protein or fat-based so that their body will only be using fat for fuel. The idea being that if you're only using fat for fuel, then you will lose weight and lose fat specifically. But it's very short-sighted and is actually it's there's a, a twist of the words here that's important to understand, not just in terms of the words, but also what the words mean. When people say burn fat, if an average everyday person says, I want to burn fat, what they're saying is they want to lose body fat mm-hmm. from their body. When we're talking about your metabolism and burning fat, that is not the same thing as losing fat from your body. I think we need to make that really clear because that's so – people don't get it. It's confusing. It is confusing. And I hate that that marketers have used this and used this to try and trick people. It's sort of like the same thing as the fat-burning zone on the treadmill or the elliptical or whatever it is you're using. What that means is – you are using fat to fuel that activity, but 
if you are not in a caloric deficit, it is irrelevant because the only way to lose fat is to give your body less energy, fewer calories than it needs in order to maintain its current weight. So let's say you're in the fat-burning zone for an hour in the gym, but you're not eating in a caloric surplus, you're not losing fat. Right. It doesn't matter if your body is using fat for energy, if the total amount of energy you're putting in your body is greater than the amount of energy that you're using that day. It is irrelevant. So what they're doing is they're telling you you're using fat for fuel, but what they're not telling you is that in order to actually lose excess fat from your body, then you will need to eat in a caloric deficit. Mm-hmm. Long roundabout way of saying Lumen is horseshit. And and they their product, I don't know. I haven't looked at – I don't know if they've actually had uh, studies done on it. I highly doubt they have peer-reviewed research looking at it. But even if they do and even if their, their device is accurately able to tell you what you're burning more of, carbs or fat, it still is completely and utterly irrelevant in regard to whether or not you are losing body fat from your body. Losing fat and burning fat. Uh, even though it sounds exactly the same, it's two very different things. Yeah, and I think people wish it yeah. was it was the same. I, I remember believe, thinking that too. Like, oh, I'm burning fat from yeah, my body exactly. as I'm doing this or whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, it, so it's kind of hard to wrap your head around the difference with yes. that. But there is a difference. The main difference is just what are you using to fuel yeah. your fuel your life really it's not just even movement to fuel your life what are you using which energy source are you using in order to fuel your life and you have to remember there's a difference between dietary fat and 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 fat in your blood and fat in your body there's there are different types of fats and even though you might be using fat as a way to fuel your your life to fuel your metabolism right now does not mean that you are losing fat from your body because mm-hmm. the only thing that dictates how much fat you store and how much fat you lose is your total energy intake total calorie intake throughout the day so again it doesn't matter if you're in a fat burning or carb burning state in regard whatever lumen tells you if you are not eating in a calorie or energy deficit then you can't lose weight doesn't regardless. Matter. it's yeah. irrelevant yeah and a simple way to look at this is you can look at people who follow the ketogenic diet if if being in a fat burning state in terms of like your metabolism is solely using fat for fuel if that was if that was all you needed in order to lose fat then everybody on keto would be shredded mm by like by definition inherently yeah. they would have to be that way because they're all using they would all be burning fat and and losing the excess fat that's not how it works we can even look at societies across the world that have minimal carb intake and very very high fat intake we can look at at societies in the world um like the inuit which i believe they they're uh 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 I forget the term for it. I don't want to be offensive or anything, but they're the Inuit are a group of people. They often uh, live off a of very high fat fish. They are a group of people that don't really have access to many, if any, carbohydrates. They live in very cold, uh, harsh environments, and the majority of their food is is high protein, high fat, because they're often fishing and they they don't really have the ability to farm or to have many carbohydrates, if any at all. But they still have a fair amount of body fat. And even though they would be in a purely fat-burning state as long as they aren't eating carbohydrates, they're still not yeah. losing body yeah. fat. So yeah. remember, burning fat and losing fat are two entirely different, different things. Different things, yes. Now, um, anything you want to add to that? Or no, no, I mean, okay. I, I, I know I fell for that confusion too. Yes. I didn't understand it. Um, and I think it's really important just to keep those two separate because you have to be in a deficit period. Yeah. Um, just because you're in the fat burning zone on the treadmill doesn't mean that you're yeah. losing fat. And and if you don't believe us, that's totally fine. Buy the lumen, and and do your absolute best to make sure that it tells you that you're in a fat burning state all the time. Mm-hmm. And see see how it goes. Yeah. That's really it. It's the same thing when people tell me, oh, like people say, hey, what are your thoughts on fat burning pills? I'm like, yeah, they don't fucking work. Like, it's you need to be in a calorie deficit regardless of whether or not you're taking a fat burning pill that you bought at GNC or Vitamin Shop or whatever the hell. And uh, and they're like, well, I don't know. Like, they wouldn't sell them if it didn't work. I'm like, number one, you're ignorant and <laughs> beyond belief. Uh, and number two is, cool. 
go buy it and yeah. see how it works. Yeah. I don't know a single person in the entire world who was like, oh my God, I'm so glad I bought those fat burners. Yeah. They, who, they I don't were, know a single did it. person they did the trick. who was like, oh, yeah, you know what really it pushed me over the edge were those fat burners. That's yeah. really when I got shredded to bits and finally started loving my body. Yeah. Not a single person Not one. ever. Not one ever. Um, okay, next question. Rhymes with Badgers asked, how to distinguish between being lazy and needing a rest? Mm. This is a very difficult question. It is. It is. It's a great question, but yeah. very difficult. Because there's so because you yeah there's wow. so much individualization there's here. so much in your history mm-hmm. um, like are you calling yourself lazy because you feel like you have to work out seven days a week and and you you need to take a a rest day yep but you're calling yourself lazy out of fear because if you don't do it you know then you feel like you're going to gain fat and all. I mean there's that aspect of it yep um, and and that aspect, the fear, I think, drives most of that anyway, to some degree or another, yep. right? You to call yourself lazy if you regularly work out, mm-hmm. and then you decide to take a rest day, and then you say, no, I can't take a rest day. I'm lazy. That to me is a relationship with exercise issue. Yes. Right. Yep. If you're one of those people that haven't gotten off the couch in three weeks, yep. okay, well then, okay, there might be, you know, it might be lazy. You yeah. Know, you don't need another rest day. You haven't done anything in three weeks, you yep. know? But I truly feel like this is built out of fear. Yeah. You know, of, oh my God, I can't take a day off because I'm going to lose it all. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It, it really does depend on the person. The way, what I'm about to say, it does have flaws, but I think 85% of the time it works very, very well. Where I would say, ask yourself, which one is more difficult for you mentally and emotionally? If if you're the person who loves working out and loves fitness and all that stuff, but is scared to take a rest day, like it's more difficult for you to take a rest day than it is to work out, then you just need a rest. It's not that you're being lazy on a given day. Like you've worked out every day for the last four months. You taking that one day off is not lazy. That's like you need a rest. Mm -hmm. If it's more difficult for you to take a rest day than it is to work out, then odds are you need a rest and you're not being lazy. On the other hand, let's say you're the person who rarely works out and it's more difficult for you to work out than it is to take a rest. Odds are you can get a workout in. Yeah. It's, it's, it's. The, the area where that often will fail, where the, the flaw in this method is, let's say you're the person who rarely works out, but you also just had an insanely busy or stressful day or time period in your life, something is going on. Well, yes, number one, you might still need to work out, but also you might need a rest mm-hmm. as well. But for most people, again, like 85% of the time, asking yourself which one is more difficult for you will give you the right answer. If it's more difficult for you to take a rest than it is to work out, then you need a rest. If it's more difficult for you to work out than it is to take a rest day, then you're probably being a little bit fucking lazy and you need to work out. Yeah. No, so I love that. It's very simple and and obviously there are flaws, but I think by and large it will tell you. And also I think most people, if you're being objectively honest with yourself, you know. A hundred percent. Most people know if mm-hmm. like like, okay, you've worked out six days a week, five days a week, whatever it is for the last three years and you want to take a rest day but you think you're being lazy like no you just take a rest day it's fine on the other hand if you're the person who you know whether you're working out or not like you're if you can be honest and objective with yourself you know if you're working out okay if you're not working out basically ever then you're being lazy yeah i i smiled at this because i felt like i was i was a person that wouldn't take a correct that was you that that was me the the rest taking the thought of taking a rest day made me super uncomfortable. Yeah. And I, and over time I started understanding why that was. You yeah. Know, the fear factor of taking a rest day. You know, and oh my God, you know I'm gonna lose it all. Yeah. Wh- whatever from taking a rest day um, after I've worked out so hard. Um, and I would I would call myself lazy. Mm. Yeah. You're lazy for thinking yeah. about taking. Yeah, you know yeah, I would yeah. get in my own head about that. Yep. Um, but that wasn't it at all. Correct. You know, it was, I needed to take a rest day. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I will say I hesitate to use the word lazy. The only reason I'm using it is just because rhymes with badgers used it. Um, but 
let's say you're a single mother, three kids, and you rarely work out, and you know you need to work out, but you're really tired, I'm not going to say you're being lazy because you're a single mother of three kids and you're trying to keep food on the table and a house or their head and also take care of them. So you're not lazy, but that also doesn't change the fact you still need to make sure you have time for yourself to work out. Yeah. So I don't think lazy is necessarily the right word in in all or even necessarily most situations, but it does mean you you still need to prioritize that. Yeah. And the priority of fitness and working out needs to be made uh, more prevalent in your day-to-day life. Would agree. Yeah. Okay. Um, so 901 Texan. Love that. What's up, Texas? Um, <laughs> they said... Tips for kicking the it's Saturday, let's rage mindset to eating. It's a binge trigger for me big time. What do you think? Like, How, how do you kick the I'm going to binge because it's Saturday mindset? <laughs> this is probably me getting really old here. And, and my patience as I've gotten older is, is not as great as it was. It's dwindling, yeah. yeah. Your empathy cup isn't as, Beca- isn't as yeah, big. Yeah, <laughs> because I feel like... Um, you don't, you don't do it. I mean, you you give yourself some parameters <laughs> and you don't do it. I mean, you put on the big boy, big girl pants on, yep. and and you give yourself some adult rules and you don't do it. That being said, what are you what are you doing all week to set this that, up? Yes, you know. Yep. I mean, there th- th- that is a big part of it. If you are trying to lose weight and you are eating, you know, lettuce and that's it all week. You know, you're eating barely anything. Yep. You are going to be ready to rage and do all the things on Saturday, right? So, you, however, you still need to put on the big girl, big boy yes. pants on. And let's look at your, your stuff during the week that yep. is setting this up and that you can get a better handle on it. Yeah, I, I think you hit the nail on the head there. Um, what you do during the week is going to have a massive impact on what you do during the weekends. And just like you just said, if you're massively restricting yourself during the week, well, then of course on the weekends, it's going to be a huge binge trigger. It can, it's often, it's actually pretty easy to massively overly restrict during the week, especially if you work full time. Yeah. You're busy. You're Uh, busy. You've got meetings. You're like, you're driving, maybe you're driving into and from work, which can take up time. You're hanging out with people. Oftentimes, and this is actually why it's really important to understand a show like The Biggest Loser is bad for many reasons, but not least of which, if we watch The Biggest Loser and we watch the contestants after the show is over, they will almost all regain the weight they lost and more. Why is that? Well, one of the reasons is because they're on national TV and there's a tremendous amount of pressure on yeah. these people to exercise for six hours a day, to massively restrict their calorie intake, partly because it's what they're being told to do and partly because they're on national TV. Mm -hmm. Not only are complete strangers watching them, but their friends, their family, everyone is is watching them. And they, never mind, I I believe there's a cash prize as well, which can also massively influence what someone will do. But what happens once the TVs are are off or or the the cameras are off or people aren't watching anymore? Well, now all of that external pressure isn't there and you're just left with what you got internally. So if you have people that you work with and you're concerned about what they might think of you if they see what you're eating and then so you're overly restricting, you're eating like a rabbit, just lettuce and carrots and all of a sudden Saturday comes and you're alone and you're home by yourself, yeah, of course you're going to eat like shit because now you don't have to worry about what other people think and you can just be there by yourself. But if you're throughout the week eating more intelligently and you, you're not overly restricting, maybe you have some bits of restriction if you need to, but that doesn't mean you can't treat yourself and enjoy yourself throughout the week. By the time the weekend comes, it's not going to be that big of a deal. And the, the trigger will either be severely yeah. diminished or gone altogether. I mean, and it's, it just makes so much sense, right? Um, I, I think everyone thinks that they're, we always hear, I'm being good during yes. the week, yeah. you know? Yeah, like, like Like overly restricting is a good thing. <laughs> no, it's not yeah. actually. And for this, this is one of the reasons why it's not. Um, because it, it um, w- will end up in something like this. You know, and when you can modify during the week a little bit and, and do it a little bit more moderately, include some of your favorite foods along the way, that really helps a lot. And then when Saturday comes around, it's, 
you can give yourself some parameters when you go out and you're, you're going to be far more successful with staying close on track. Yeah, that's exactly right. Okay, Josie Summer Hayes asked, do you have any healthy snack ideas for a road trip? Mm. That's a good one. That's I like a this. great one. Yeah, what, yeah, what do you, yeah. Let's hear like anywhere between two to four ideas, anywhere in that So range. I would take a little mini lunchboxy cooler thing okay. with me. Okay, love that. Okay, love so that. Yep. then I would put yogurts in there. Single okay. serve yogurts okay. probably in there. Which, which yogurt? Um, the Oikos. Oikos. Is that the total the total yeah. zero, whatever it's yeah. called? Yeah, yeah. Is that what I have upstairs? Yes. Okay, yeah. yeah. Those are so good. They're so good. Oh, triple zero. They're called triple, triple zero. Yeah, oh, my the, God. Yeah. They're like 20 grams of protein or something like that. Low calorie and delicious. Really good. What's your favorite flavor of those? Um, wow. So the flavors that we have upstairs are mixed berry, yep, vanilla, and strawberry. Yeah, I've, I'm liking vanilla. Yeah, vanilla's really good. I like really vanilla. Good. Um, with the cereal and, and mixed berry, I mean, you know, I like them all. Yeah, I like them all. Vanilla was my favorite at the beginning, and I only ate that for like three months. Now I'm onto the strawberry. Oh, okay. But um, but they're all yeah fantastic. They're all really good. The texture's really good. Yeah, uh, very filling. So I would probably take some of those with me. Um, I also when I when I if I'm going on a long road trip like that, I would probably take. Uh, some protein powder in, in a, and have a shaker cup mm. so I can just add some liquid yep. w- when I go for a stop if I want to do that. And then I would like, I like to chew. Yeah. So yogurt's not going to do that for me. Yep. And the drink in a protein shake won't either. So I um, would probably take um, some jerky or something like that. But I would also get bugles. Bugles. I love bugles. Oh my God, right? Oh my God. I haven't had those in years. Bugles. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I used to put those on my fingers to look yes. like a witch. Yes. We all did that, right? We all did that. You had to do that. With that was bugles. so funny. Yeah. Wow. Those are great. Yeah. I completely forgot about bugles. Um, so there are many ways you can take this. If you're doing a road trip, um, Number one is what things you can bring with you, but also being aware of what you could get along the way. Yeah. So if the road trip is on a Sunday, I will avoid it because Chick-fil-A isn't open on Sundays. <laughs> yeah. If for me, if I'm if I'm on a road trip and it's any day but Sunday, I'm gonna be stopping at Chick-fil-A. Chick-fil-A. Now their grilled nuggets are just incredible. Unbelievable. They're so I can't believe no one else has done this. It's just super high quality meat. They're very low calorie, very high protein, ridiculously filling. I use those with the buffalo sauce, yep. and it's just amazing. Yep. So that for and like if I get two orders of twelve, so I get twenty four nuggets. It's about four hundred calories and almost eighty grams of protein, yep. which is almost all I need for the day. Yeah. And the amount of uh, that I get filled up from that is ridiculous. So if I if we're going on a road trip and I don't really want to pack anything, that will definitely be what I'll get like from from a fast food place. Um, one thing that it really depends on, on what I'm craving and what I'm enjoying right now. So one thing I've been doing lately, and I think you and I spoke about this either on my podcast or yours, is I've been loving the the carb balanced tortillas, mm-hmm. and I take those like baby bell cheeses, mm-hmm. and I will melt them. And if I'm at home, I'll melt them in the microwave and have essentially a, a quesadilla yeah. Yeah, yeah, at yeah. home. If I'm out on the road and I, or on a plane, I've been doing this on planes because I've been traveling more recently, which I actually want to stop doing. Um, but Obviously, I don't have a microwave to melt them in, so I'll just like literally wrap up a couple of cheeses in one of the tortillas and eat it. Yeah. And you get a fair amount of protein from either the tortillas and the cheese, a significant amount of fiber from the tortillas. Yeah. It's super filling, and they're both they travel so well. They're not getting smush. They they eat very well. They stay very well, uh, and they're very filling. And they're easy ways to help get some some good high quality macronutrients in there as well. So that for me is 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 huge. Um, I would definitely pack. For, I just love sparkling water, so I pack some Topo Chico yeah. as well. Um, but that's really it, unless it's like if, if we're talking about like a, a day or two or three day long road trip that's different than I don't know maybe three to seven hours. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. Uh, but either way, like these are all great options. Yeah. Okay, let's see what else we've got. Um, so there have been a number of jujitsu questions that I wanted to ask you. So that other people asked. I was like, oh, this will be a good chance for Susan to discuss because can you remind everyone how old you are, Susan? 62. 62. Turning 63, May 24th. Yeah, good memory. And um, starting jujitsu at any age is unbelievably difficult. I 
I answered someone's question on my Instagram story. I believe it was last week. And as I was answering it, I was like, Susan's going to see this and she's going to laugh. It was a, I think it was a 23-year-old guy who said to the effect of, am I too old to do jiu-jitsu? I'm 23. And I'm like, for fuck's sake. (laughs) Dear Lord. Dear Lord is right. So health wellness account. That's interesting. That's their Instagram name. Health wellness account asked, I want to try jujitsu, but I'm intimidated. Do you have any advice for beginners or best ways to start? And I have my thoughts on this, having been doing it for about three and a half years now. I'm by no means an expert, but I do have a, a, a fair amount of experience. And also, how many months in are you right now? I started last end of July, beginning of August. Okay, so almost a year. Yeah, I'm, I'm coming up on a year. Coming up on a year. Yeah. So, uh, so having this about like eight to nine months of experience under your belt, no pun intended. (laughs) What advice would you give to someone who is very intimidated? Do you have any advice for a beginner on the best way to start? Yeah. Wow. It is intimidating. Yeah, it (laughs) is. I was intimidated. Um, um, Are you still intimidated? To some degree, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I am still intimidated. I made a comment about looking at the class that was after us. And I was intimidated. Yeah. <laughs> Looking at that, you know, um, I, I think first of all, you you need to find your academy and just go and sign up. Yep. Um, you have to just take that first step. Um, different options. I, you know, I'm a, mo- a lot of academies have uh, classes, you know, basic level classes or whatever. But I started as you did um, with one on one. Yep. That was my comfort level. Yep. At, and and it still is. Yeah. It still is. For me, I feel like the intimidation was still there mm. because I'm still doing this stuff. Yeah. But it was a lessened a little bit because it was just the one person yeah. that I was working with. So I think that really helped me get over the big intimidation at the beginning. Um, I think that's a great way to start. I feel like I've learned more. Yeah. Because of it. Yeah. Um, than I maybe would in a class. Um, so for me, I think that's what I would recommend. If that is possible for this person to do a one-on-one, I would maybe do some privates and then and then work your way into a class. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So so I actually, I didn't start with one-on-ones at the beginning. When I first started, mm. I was doing the beginner classes. And, and so I started that in September of 2019. And then I did that all the way until March of 2020. Mm. And then COVID hit and shut everything down. And then when I was in New York, I was walking around and I recognized one of the coaches from my academy when I was walking just on the boardwalk in New York. It was in June now. So from March until June, I hadn't done any jujitsu. And and I recognized one of the coaches and I saw him and he recognized me and I was like, hey, are you guys training yet? And he said, well, the gym is still closed, but they're actually allowing us to do some one-on-ones. And I was like, all right, well, I want to get back to jujitsu, so like, can we do that? And so, starting, I was believe June sixth or something of mm. twenty twenty, I got back into mm-hmm. it, and I, that's when I started doing one on ones, and I was like, okay, this is amazing. So, completely agree. If you can start with a, maybe even if it's just one one on one session a week or a single one on one session every two weeks for a little bit, one of the great parts about this is um, you get obviously the one on one attention and. It can be so intimidating when you're in a class with a bunch of other people. And even if you're in a class with all white belts, what I think a lot of people don't understand is that a, a white belt with even two months more experience than you. Oh, it's huge. It's dramatic. Dramatic. It, it's a really big difference, which can be even more intimidating and more scary because then you start training with them and they're just fucking you up. And you're just like, and when I say fucking you up, I'm not meaning like they're not punching you. They're not yeah. kicking. They're not elbowing. They're just like having their way with you and there's nothing you can do to stop it and it's very jarring and almost like mentally and emotionally disturbing to realize how vulnerable you are that's one of the things i think that is so great and also so difficult about it is people really have to come to terms with oh i'm actually i'm very vulnerable and i didn't realize how vulnerable i was with my own safety and all of that um so if you have the opportunity to do one-on-ones i would um the here my best advice that i can give is is just knowing that it's going to push you in a way you've never been pushed before, mentally, physically, and emotionally. It is, and listen, I've been doing sports my whole life and athletics in so many different ways. I'm an elite world record power lifter. I, I, like, I've done many different sports and many different uh, athletic events. 
nothing has been more difficult than jujitsu, and it doesn't even come close. Um, especially the mental and emotional side of it, where like when you realize how vulnerable you actually are, and how even someone with a modicum of slightly more experience than you can really truly mm-hmm. dominate you. It's 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 scary and it's it's emotionally draining and taxing. There were a number of times where I almost cried within the, my first like four to five months oh, because I was like, yeah, it's it's very emotionally draining and and it jarring is. to realize that you you are not safe. And it's, I feel like it, when you start with one on one, it's a little less of that yes, that piece correct. a yep. little bit. Um, but what the the one thing to to keep in mind too is you have to look at what what progress is differently now. Yes, you have to, because <laughs> you know, learning a movement that requires five steps when you first learn it, you're probably going to miss most of those steps until you'll miss you, all of them. Yeah, hundred percent. And your progress is I only missed three. Yeah, <laughs> out yep. of the five, and then it comes I only missed one. Yeah. you know that's huge. And that was a real difficult thing, but rethinking what progress is for you and knowing that everyone is overwhelmed when they start yeah. and that's okay and that it does get better um, and just to keep keep going because you're going to mess up. Yeah. We, yeah. we all mess up. That, I messed up a ton today. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, it's... it's uh, I just explained this on, on your podcast, Susan. I'll, I'll say it again here uh, just in case they don't go listen to your podcast, which they should go listen to Susan's mm-hmm. podcast as well. But and uh, one of the ways that is uh, can make jujitsu a little bit easier to understand in terms of the difficulty is if you strength train and you've never deadlifted before, the first few times you deadlift, maybe even the first few months, you're learning how to hip hinge, you're learning your stance with, you're learning your grip with, you're learning the right way to hold the bar, you're learning the right way to breathe, and it can be a little bit overwhelming. But sooner rather than later you learn how to hip hinge you learn how to deadlift you learn how to squat you learn how to do a push-up you learn the technique and regardless of what implement you're using or how much weight you're lifting the technique is essentially always the technique there are differences between a front squat and a back squat but it's still a squat right there are differences between a sumo deadlift and a conventional deadlift but they're still deadlifts and you might be able to lift more or lift less with a certain variation but the technique is still basically the same. And the bar or the dumbbell or the kettlebell or the band, it never changes. It is it is what it is. The implement never changes. With jujitsu, your opponent is always changing. And not only in terms of you're facing person A and person B, but person A will is never going to do the exact same thing over and over and over again. Everything is, is changing constantly. So imagine when you're deadlifting that you're not just like maybe on one rep you deadlift the bar. Then the next rep, the bar is is wrapping itself around you and you have to deadlift it up. And then the next rep, the bar turns into a tube filled with water and you've got to try and mm-hmm. deadlift it up. And then the next rep, the bar um, it, the bar turns into, uh, I don't know, like the bar, um, uh, I don't even know, something. The bar changes. The bar, instead of being in your hands, it goes onto your back and you've got to try and lift it up and balance it on your back. Then the next rep, you're, you're standing on one leg. And all of a sudden, like all of these changes are happening at the same time. And that is one of the reasons why I think jujitsu is so difficult is because you can learn all the technique techniques in the world, but regardless of that, the person you're fighting, the person you're going against is going to be yeah. changing all the time. Uh, and it's like sort of like learning a new language. Um, I think learning a language is probably the best one to, to, uh, to relate it to, but learning a new language while you're running a marathon. Is probably the, the best yeah. way to explain oh, how difficult it is. I think that's great. Is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the best advice that I could give to anybody, man, woman, young, old, any of that, I really think it, it's irrelevant. Actually, I shouldn't say that. I think it is more difficult for women for, for many, many reasons. Um, and it is also more difficult based on your age. But regardless of the differences, regardless of your gender, regardless of your age, regardless of any of that, the best advice is to understand that, yes, it's going to be difficult. Yes, it's going to suck. It's going to be challenging mentally, physically, and emotionally. But it will make you better in so many ways. And let me just add one more thing to this, too, because this just popped into my head. When I first started, I struggled with warm-ups. Mm. I mean, just doing yeah. some of the warm-up yeah. stuff. It took me a, a while to be able to do those worth a damn. Yep. You know? Um, and my biggest fear was doing a forward or backward roll. Yeah. 
A I somersault, mean, yeah. I was terrified. Yeah. Because the last time I did that, I was probably five. <laughs> <laughs> that was a long time ago. Um, and I remember the day I did my... I think I got the forward one first, probably, yeah. just for sheer momentum's sake or whatever. Yeah. But the backwards ones were like, I can't do this, I can't do this, I can't do this. And he kept putting them in, we kept trying, and I... I almost got it one time, and I was like, and then I got it. Yeah. And it's like, holy shit, that was like an accomplishment. It's a backward, it's a warm-up. It's a somersault, you know? right. right. Yeah, yeah. But I was, so, I, yeah, that was a huge thing I love for me. that. And that is what a lot of people don't realize about doing a somersault or, or one of the first things you learn in jiu-jitsu is learning how to fall. Yeah. Right? And, yeah. and people, most adults are not spending their time rolling around on the ground. Yeah. It's something that kids do all the time. All the but time. But as you get older, you... You don't do it as much. Yeah. And I actually think it's a big problem. Yeah. The the amount that my mobility has improved, that my coordination has improved, my ability to keep myself safe if I fall down. I know how to fall properly, which might sound weird, but knowing how to fall and absorb force and distribute it across your whole body will keep you safe yeah. in a fall. Yeah. Um, so there, there's so much that comes with it, even outside of the, the combat perspective. Yeah. Okay. So next question. This is from mototag.us. Uh, I believe they're an Inner Circle member because they said, what is the best Inner Circle program to use in conjunction with half marathon training? I don't want to overdo it. So love that. God bless you for doing a half marathon. Yeah, I love that you're in the Inner Circle, that you're doing the half marathon. Um, What do you think, Susan, in terms of one of the best programs to do? Whatever program you do, I would suggest doing... um, taking the four day a week program and stretching it out so you do two days each week yep. with training for a marathon because that is your priority. Yep. So running is the priority. Strength training two days a week would be plenty. Yep. A dumbbell only one could be a good fit. You know, you could even do one of the monthly editions for that. Yep. Um, but just the quantity is the bigger issue probably than, than anything else. And taking so if it's four days a week a lower upper lower upper you would do lower upper one week and then the next week do the other lower upper yeah and then rotate them that way for training for a marathon yeah i completely agree I'll, I'll briefly explain how the programs work in the inner circle just to give some context so um first and foremost as soon as you join you'll find every month we put out a new edition Right? And that's why you come here every month, mm-hmm. so we can work on the brand new edition. We're doing two editions this time because my wife and I are about to travel for almost a month, so we're getting the April edition and the May edition done on this trip. Um, but in this new edition, there's obviously there are recipes from our chef, there are nutrition guidelines, there's exercise video tutorials. Cardio guidelines. There's cardio guidelines, zone two, high intensity, all that stuff. Um, but the biggest draw is the new strength training program mm-hmm. every month. And we have a four times a week option, which is split up between upper, lower, upper, lower. And we have a three times a week option, which is lower, upper, full body. So to answer this question, if let's say you're doing the monthly editions, right? So it's it's March 21st as of recording this. So let's say you're going to start with the April edition. Well, then instead of doing, you would choose the four day a week April edition. But instead of doing all four days in a week, you would do day one and day two on week one, and then you would do day three and day four on week two. And then you would do day one and day two on week three, and then you'd do day three and day four on week four. And you'd alternate like that, because two days is all you need. Yeah. But let's say, for example, maybe you're new to strength training and you don't really know how to do any of this stuff. Then you could start with, you hit the start here tab when you join, and we have the Unicorn Strong Challenge, which is, this is a... Uh, a gym-based strength training program, but it's uh, it's all the basics. It's teaching you everything you need to know about strength training. So it's the basic movements, the fundamental movements, teaching you with clear exercise video tutorials exactly how to do it. And again, I would do the four-time week program, just like Susan said, but do two days the first week, two days the second week, and, and alternate like that. Yeah. But let's say you maybe either work out from home or you your gym doesn't have access to barbells and, and all that stuff, or you just want to use dumbbells. Maybe you do go to the gym, but you're a little bit intimidated and you don't want to be in the weightlifting area, so you just want to grab a couple dumbbells and bring them into your corner, then I would recommend you do the dumbbell-only program. And we have three phases of that. So I would start with phase one, and again, I would pick the four-day-a-week option and do day one, day two, week one, and day three, day four, week two, and continue alternating yep. like that. So. 
most people in the inner circle, not all, but most, I would say probably about 75 to 80% of inner circle members do the monthly editions. Yeah. Every month they get the new program and they do that new program. And then when the new pro- new edition comes out on the first of the month, because it, ever since Susan's been here, <laughs> she's been making me make sure it gets out on the first of every month. We've been doing this for over a year now in terms of... We've uh, been solid for over a year yeah, getting it out early. The inner circle has been around since 2015, but only since Susan really has been... I've been making sure that we get this published on time. I spoke about this on your podcast. I'm not organized at all. The only reason that it gets out on the first of every month is because you're like, hey, we got to fucking publish this. So every single month it's published on the first and you can start that new edition over again. But specifically in regard to half marathon training, just like Susan said, the priority is running. The strength training and weightlifting, it's just supplemental to that. And the main purpose of it is to keep you injury free. Yeah. So you shouldn't be lifting max effort weights. You shouldn't be going for one RM deadlifts or, go, or straining outrageously hard. It should be done in a way that is is clear and slow and deliberate, all with the purpose of, quote unquote, bulletproofing your body to make sure that you're not getting injured during your running. Yeah. Uh, and if you want to join the Inner Circle, you can do that at the link in the show notes, www.sfinnercircle.com. And we do have an app version as well. You get the app version once you join. There's a tab on the website that allows you to download that app if you haven't done that already to all of our current members and future members. Okay, so this brings up a really good question. So Shelly Hubbard 04 asked, why do you recommend only two HIT workouts a week at most? HIT being high intensity interval training. So what do you think, Susan? Why do you think that two at most is what you should be doing? Like no more than two. Um, if, if it's a true hit workout. That's exactly right. Two is plenty. Yes. Um, because it, most people think they're doing a hit workout. Yes. And they're not. Exactly. And so they think you could probably do another one. You yes. Know? I mean. Because it's not true hit. Right. But true, honest to God hit, if you're doing a true hit, your body won't want to do more than two. No. Not at all. N- no. So I, I think it's just what everyone think they think they're doing a hit yeah. kind of workout um and if it's that kind of workout you could probably do more but if it's true high intensity interval training no it is so hard on your body <laughs> yeah. that you there's no way you could do it high intensity interval training done correctly is devastating yeah and i'll start by saying high intensity interval training is not essential mm-hmm. you don't need it Mm-mm. um it's the- not better for anything there, Except for perform some performance things, correct. but for, from a from a building strength and muscle or losing weight, which yeah, I think that's that's where, exactly right where it comes in. Building strength and muscle, losing weight, it's yeah. it, you don't need it at yeah, all. At all. Um, from a performance perspective, for intermediate to advanced trainees, yes, there's absolutely benefits that you can't get with anything else other than true high intensity interval training. But like Susan was saying, and this is the biggest thing, you have to remember high intensity interval training hit. H-I-I-T, this is a marketing term at this point. Yeah. All of these big companies and, and pieces of equipment are using HIT as because it sounds really intense. It sounds difficult. It sounds challenging. And it sounds like you're burning so many calories and it's it's better for, for losing fat and blah, 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 blah. So they use it as a form of marketing. And I've seen a lot of these quote-unquote HIT workouts and they're not real HIT workouts. No. Um, I've seen hit workouts and what they call a hit workout. And then they're doing like planks as one of the exercises. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. this isn't, you don't use a plank in a hit workout. No, <laughs> That's, you, you don't, you, it's, you don't use a glute bridge in a hip work no. in a hit workout. No. Um, hit workouts are fucking devastating. They are short and they are fast and they are absolutely excruciating in every way, shape and form. And and I'll start with it. I'll say this as well, that if you look at the highest level athletes in the world, and we whether we're talking about sprinters or runners or anything, how many HIIT workouts, true HIIT workouts, do you think they do in a week? Yeah, probably one. One to two at most, probably yeah. less than two, probably closer to one because of how severe the effect is on their body and central nervous system. And I always ask people, if one to two is plenty for an elite athlete, why the fuck do you think you need more Yeah. than an I, Olympic yeah. athlete? Yeah. You yeah. don't need to be doing more. And that's where it's like, listen, if you're going to a, a, a boot camp class and they're having you do 
like mountain climbers and planks and, and they're calling it hit like great that's i'm glad you're moving and it's fantastic exercise but you can do that three four five days a week because it's not true hit yeah but if you're doing a true high intensity interval training which is usually done oftentimes on a treadmill uh sometimes on a on a rogue echo or a uh, uh a type of a, a bike where you can use your an assault bike airdyne yeah. bike whatever yeah. it is those are usually when where hit is done. So if that's what you're doing and it's super high intensity and it's really it's, it's devastating, one to two times a week is plenty. But if you're doing F45 or if you're doing Orange Theory or if you're doing any of the in Barry's boot camp, yes, they're difficult. They're very challenging, but they're those not, are not true yeah. high intensity interval training, and you can do those more frequently. But what I would say is. Again, like if, if you're the kind of person who's trying to work out seven days a week and do these super high-intensity classes all the time, again, what do you think Olympic-level athletes do? Yeah. And yeah. why do you think that's, you should be doing more than them? Yeah, that's a great way to put that and great way to think about yeah. it. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I've worked with Olympic-level athletes. I've worked with professional athletes. I still do. I just did the nutrition for a guy who competed at the highest level in jiu-jitsu just a couple of months ago. I see their workouts. I know what they do. It's... I've designed their workouts in many cases. It's it's oftentimes far less than what the average fitness enthusiast thinks they should be doing. Yeah. It's just like, why the fuck are you trying to train harder than elite athletes? You don't <laughs> yeah. need it. You don't need to. The, yeah. the reason the elite athlete is shredded is because their nutrition is dialed. Do you think it's because when people do their version of HIT that they're sweating and they're, you know, they, they yeah. feel great and so they think they're doing more... For their goals or, yes, or, or whatever. Def- you know? There's and definitely the aspect this, of they they feel more tired so and they feel false, sweaty. Yeah. Like that's, it was great workout. Yes. That's definitely one aspect of it. I think it's a huge aspect of it. The other aspect is the marketing aspect where a lot of these companies, they either deliberately or out of ignorance misinterpret what the research says in regard to high-intensity interval training and its effect on your metabolism. Mm. So there is a fair amount of research talking about uh, something called excessive post-oxygen consumption and about the effect that high-intensity interval training has on your metabolism for up to 72 hours after the workout. And if you look at this research mm. just on the surface level, then you'll find that oftentimes um, that your that your metabolism will have been increased for up to 72 hours after the workout. And on the surface level, that sounds amazing. Right. It sounds great. Oh my God, for 72 hours, I'll my metabolism in. increased? Yeah. But the question is how much increase in metabolism thereafter? And that's the question no one's asking. Yeah. And if you actually look at the research, it's like, I don't know, 45 calories. <laughs> it's about half of an apple. It's Whereas what if instead of doing that hit workout that then put you on the sidelines for the next couple of days because you're so truly devastatingly exhausted what if you just got your 7,500 to 10,000 steps in a day yeah that's got hundreds <laughs> and hundreds more calories burned never mind the overall health benefits of it yeah it's like people are so focused on trying to burn as many calories as quickly as they can that they're actually missing out on burning more calories from much lower intensity more enjoyable exercises yeah absolutely great point um, okay, so let's see. What else do we have? Um, okay, here's another jujitsu question. People are going to be so sick of me. Um, do you think that jujitsu is useful in real life self defense? So I know you're still relatively new, but just purely based off of what you've learned thus far, do you think it would actually help you in a real life situation? I mean, I have to think so. Yeah. I mean, I now would know. I mean, would it be perfect for me at this point? I don't, you know, it's certainly going to be better than now than it would have a year ago Yes, for me, right? Um, I now know how I could try to choke somebody out. Yep. I know now, as of today, how to extend that arm and in that arm lock. Yep. Uh, to, you know, that literally I could break somebody's elbow. Easy. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it, probably yeah. so. You could put someone unconscious, no problem. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So yeah, I think it. I think it would. You know, it would certainly. I. I have tools in a toolbox. Yes. To do, to help myself. Yes. When when I needed help, are do I have more tools to learn? I'm sure there are a whole lot more that I yes. need to learn that will make me even safer. Yes. Um, but yeah, I feel 
it's so funny. I hadn't really thought about this that much, that aspect of it yeah. that much. But yeah, I feel um, oddly confident, more confident yeah. in that. I don't say confident, more confident more than confident. I was. Than, than I was. And I haven't really even thought about that till just now, really. Because so, I'm not confident with jujitsu, really. <laughs> yeah. But this might be one area where I would feel more confident. Not that I'm going to go take somebody, you know, but I have tools in my toolbox that I could try to help myself. Correct. And having tools in your toolbox is that can make the biggest difference in a real life self defense situation. And here, here's what I'll say. So you just explained, you know, you could choke someone out, you could break their arm, which is accurate. You can, but when we look at, if you look at the best fighters in the world, the the best, whether it's jujitsu athletes or uh, any fighter, the best, highest level skilled ones, if they get in a real self defense situation, their goal is to just not get hurt. Mm-hmm. And they also don't want to hurt the other person. So one of the amazing things about jujitsu is, and we hear this all the time when you start training, is managing distance. And you hear this also with kickboxing, with boxing. You want to manage the distance. There's a saying in fighting that the person who manages the distance manages the damage, right? So realistically, if you were to need it in a self-defense situation, you know how to create enough distance between mm-hmm. you and the other person that allows you to run away. Mm. Yeah, That's the best self-defense of all. Yeah, We're just creating enough distance where they're no longer a threat. So I think in terms of a self-defense situation, like my number one goal is don't get into that situation, yeah. which means I'm always trying to be self-aware as I'm walking around outside, whether I'm at a party, at a bar, at a restaurant. I'm always, it, there's a, you, you want to be aware of your environment. Mm-hmm. From there, if someone starts closing the distance and they are aggressively closing the distance, using your skills to create more distance will help you in a self-defense situation before something actually happens. Yeah. Going into real combat is a last resort, even if you're a, an amazing, amazing fighter. The the tripod sweep that we were going over today, mm-hmm. if, God forbid, you're on your back in that situation, you know how to, from the ground, make sure they fall, mm-hmm. and then what can you do? Stand up and run. I could run. Go, Immediately. Yeah, yeah. All, you're on your back. You're on the ground. Maybe they're tr- whatever yeah. it is they're trying to do, you know what position to put your feet in and your hands in to make sure they hit the ground hard and you run. Yeah. I'd say that's very effective for a, a self-defense situation. 100%. Without needing to cause them any damage or you any damage. Yeah. Um, so yes, in that sense, absolutely. And then if we get more into the, the the deeper aspects of fighting, if you look up street fights on YouTube, which there are an unbelievable amount, you'll find at least 80 to 85%, if not more of them, end up on the ground. Usually because the two people have no clue what they're doing. Yeah. Right? You yeah. watch two people on the street fighting they're swinging like crazy and they're going nuts. They end up in a big hug and they end up on the ground. Most fights end up on the ground. Yeah. Very few fights ever end standing up. Occasionally, there is someone who has a strong and accurate punch and they get lucky and they hit them on the button and they get knocked out and it's over. That's very rare. It's yeah. very rare to have yeah. that happen. They almost always end up on the ground and I don't care how good of a boxer you are, how good at Muay Thai you are, how good at any at Taekwondo, any of that. If you haven't trained on the ground... You're fucked. You don't know what to do. That's exactly right. Yeah. So yes, long roundabout answer is in a real life self-defense situation, jujitsu absolutely works. If for nothing else, teaching you how to create space and get away so you can be safe and not get hurt. Yeah. That's the most important part. A hundred percent. Love that. So here's a question from NatureFun888. What's the best birthday you ever had? Wow. Wow, my best birthday. <clears throat> Two come to mind. One when I was a kid, a okay. young kid. Yeah. My mom and dad, we had a birthday party in my backyard. My, I thought my backyard w- was huge. It wasn't. Okay. But when you're a little kid, you think, you know. And they got ponies to come. They, okay. They rented ponies. Or yeah, yeah, yeah. That was like. Yeah, like, amazing. I will never forget that. An adult birthday. Um, I was still teaching, I was still a counselor at the school, and um, Tim had uh, made arrangements to take me to New York. Okay. Was it with Mike? No, it was the three of us, I guess. Um, He had called the teachers that I work with and told them, um, 
because there was some event at school or something that I was not going to be at now yeah. because of that. And so he called to tell them, so they were in on it. Yeah, oh, that's and, awesome. And so they they pretended like I was going to be there. Yeah. And we were giving out assignments or whatever we were doing for this, and I was part of all of that thinking. And I remember um, I was getting up to go to school that morning, going in the shower, and on the shower nozzle thing was hanging this bag. Yeah. And in this bag were tickets uh, on the train to New York and to uh, a show and that whole thing. Complete surprise. Oh, that's amazing. Complete surprise. I love that. That was a cool birthday. That's a very cool birthday. Yeah. I like that a lot. Yeah. It's funny. I have two in my head, one from my childhood, one from uh-huh. more adult. Um, childhood, actually very, it's actually crazy now that I'm thinking about it. There was one birthday that I had as a childhood where, uh, my mom got ponies to come to the house and we we rode them around the backyard and my mom loves to tell the story about how as soon as the ponies got there I was like I was running around to the person who had the pony mm-hmm. and I was saying I'm the birthday boy I'm the birthday boy I'm the birthday boy because <laughs> I wanted to ride it first yeah yeah, so like yeah trying yeah. to let them know like uh, hey okay, like, I want to I'm, I'm, I'm your guy <laughs> so isn't that funny I, we both so had funny. ponies it's crazy it is pretty crazy um, there was another one when I was a kid when my mom got Barney, the purple dinosaur, to oh, come. My college friend worked for Barney. No way. Yeah. I loved Barney as a yeah. kid. I don't remember, but I, apparently I loved Barney. And so Barney came in his whole big outfit and all of that. <laughs> and my brother is about three years older than me. So I don't know. I think I was two. I think I was a two. So he must have been five. And apparently he saw that under Barney's feet, like you could see his shoes, mm. like his regular shoes. Mm-hmm. And I don't know this. I, I don't remember this, but my brother must have told my mom that's not really Barney because I can see his shoes. And my mom pulled him to the side and said, you don't tell him that. Oh. <laughs> it was an amazing party yeah. from what I remember, yeah. but like I just think that's hilarious how my mom was like, don't you yeah, dare don't tell him. Don't you dare him. say a thing about that. That's funny. Um, Barney. Adult-wise, it's funny. Like The older I've gotten, I'm sure you can relate. Like, I don't really care about birthdays yeah. at this point. Oh, um, I totally know. It's funny I don't have a specific birthday in my adult life that I'm like, oh, that was amazing. But I do have my favorite part of my birthday every year is when I can just get some time alone and write down my goals for the pet for the upcoming mm. year. Mm-hmm. It's like I'm by myself and I do this every year on my birthday. I have the same notebook every year and I just write down my new goals. For the new, and I like, love that. It's like it's about takes about an hour mm-hmm. and like that's the favorite part of my birthday. I love that. It's not you know going out and celebrating like I don't. I don't really care. Yeah. It's more just like the opportunity to reflect on what I've done the past year and what I want to do in the coming year. Yeah. So that's what I you like. You know, it's so funny. I hear all the people say they have a birthday week. Oh, my God. Or a birthday <laughs> month. month. Dear Lord. I mean, come on. <laughs> I mean, we all should feel good about being born and we're here and we're healthy yeah. or whatever. But I never understood that. I want my, especially now, like... I when my birthday comes around, I just kind of like, can we just move on? Yeah, you know, just I just don't want to know that I'm a year old. I mean, at this <laughs> point, I just don't even want to know. I think from what I've seen, most of the people who are like, uh, they have a birthday week or a birthday month, almost always, if not always, from what I've seen, is they love to party. Yes. These are people who love to party, when, yeah, and yeah. they use it as a reason for yep. partying, which yeah. is fine if that's yeah. what you're into. Absolutely. I'm not a partier. Yeah. yeah. I hate clubs. Yeah. I hate clubs it's loud and and everything's overpriced and for me i love conversation yeah i love meaningful conversation in a club i can't hear anything (laughs) i'm like what it's so funny we went to this place for dinner a new place that opened up near us and it was, they were having a preview night or something so they had a dj in this oh god yeah we walked in we're sitting there at a table, Mike, Tim, and I, and we're yelling at each oh, other. Yeah, yeah, and I'm like, yeah, yeah. oh, my God, we are these old people. And then Mike's like, no, you're not. I, I can't hear either. <laughs> it's, yeah. So, yeah, I, I've never really understood the birthday week or month. But yeah. for the people who love hey. to party and like, hey, you're going to party every weekend over the month. Like, cool. Okay. Respect. Yeah. Um, all right. Let's do one more. Yep. Let's see what we've got. So... Here's an interesting one. Um, Aaron3131 asked, how old is too young for a kid 
to curse. So how old, it's a sort of a confusing way of saying it, but when would you say is like the line where a kid should not be allowed to curse? Wow. I don't know, to be honest, because I was brought up, you don't. <laughs> yep. Okay. Yep. You don't. Um, Did your parents curse? Yes. Damn was the big word. Damn. Yeah. That, yeah. Got it. That, okay. That, or probably a hell thrown in there every now and again too. But um, yeah, damn was probably my dad's top yeah. word of choice. Did he say like fuck or shit? Or, no. No. I don't, I don't remember okay. at all. But we certainly weren't <laughs> allowed to do that. And, and with Mike growing up, I, we didn't cuss in front of him. We didn't curse yeah. in front of him. Um, because we were both educators, and what we didn't want him to do is to go into school <laughs> yeah. and start dropping these these you know yeah. these words yeah. in school because that's not the setting. Correct. Right. Yeah. I, I, I feel really strongly about that. Yeah. Um. So we didn't. So I don't. I don't like from a personal experience. I don't have a line because my. Yeah. I, he didn't. Yeah. He just didn't because I feel like the parents set the example. Yep. Yep. You know, so he didn't do it. So I didn't even think about that. Yeah. So I I don't know how. I mean, so what do you think? so, it's interesting. I was brought up in a house where my parents cursed a lot, mm-hmm. and now I obviously curse a lot. But when I was a kid, I never cursed, because I knew there were words my parents could say. And there are words that I can't say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I vividly remember I was watching. Do you ever watch the show Hey Arnold? I I remember. There's a cartoon with Arnold here, the football head, and Helga Pataki and all that. Yeah. One of the kids in the show said, Bite me. (laughs) And I thought that was awesome. Yeah. And I was like, Oh my God, that's what I'm going to say now. Yeah. And I remember my mom was getting ready. She was in the bathroom and she was doing her makeup and she was like, Hey, I forget what she asked me, but it was something to the effect of like, hey, could you go clean up the kitchen? And I said, bite me. Without fully understanding what it meant. Yes. But I just thought it sounded awesome. Yeah. And what, you know, when, I don't know if you remember this, or if if you experienced this, but did you ever get so scared of your parent that like your butthole would start to quiver? (laughs) Like you got so, like, almost like your bowels were about to fall right out of your asshole. Like... When I tell you that she stormed out of that bathroom and just wrecked me, I was like, okay, I am never, ever swearing in front of you ever again. Like, I'm sorry. Like, I didn't know what it meant, but yeah. uh, she made sure that after that, there's no there way no, I would ever, ever No do confusion. It. I wouldn't swear at school. I wouldn't swear at friends' houses. I was like, I just, I wouldn't do it. Um and I think that's really important for your kids to know. Like, listen, if you swear, that's one thing. But there are some things adults can do that kids yeah. can't do. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I definitely don't think it's appropriate for the kids to be going to school and, and cussing people out or just cussing yeah. in general. I don't know if there's a, a definitive like point or age. 10 or 12 like, or yeah. 15. I don't... I don't think there's a definitive mm-hmm. age. I think it's more... Um, what I would imagine would happen as as I get older as a parent and as my my daughter and God willing future kids get older is the more responsibility they take on, the more leeway they get mm-hmm. and and the less uh, rules or the fewer rules that I need to lay out. So if if, for example, I will not buy my kids a car. Mm-hmm. I just I won't do it. That's not how I was raised, and I I don't I don't want to just give them something like that. So if they want to work in order to get enough money to then buy a used car from somewhere, well, they've just taken on a pretty significant amount of responsibility in order to do that. So I'm not gonna be. I won't care if they swear at that point. Mm-hmm. If it's too much, and if I don't think if there if it's at a point where I think it's gone too far, I'll bring it up. But at the point where they're paying for their own car and gas, and maybe I'm helping them with their insurance or whatever it is, but once they've started to really take on more responsibility and show that they're a responsible, almost adult, that for me is fine. It's a teenager, it, exactly. Yeah. yeah, and and who knows? Like there are some kids that won't do that and maybe yeah. they're spoiled or what it may, who knows what's going on in their head but 
if they're depending on me and they're not showing me that they're responsible, then there will be more rules. Yeah. If they're showing me they are responsible and I don't really give a shit. It's kind of how, how we were with Mike yeah. growing up. I mean, he he did everything he needed to do in school. He was yeah. he did everything he was told. Yeah, he had he played games on the computer or had his video games or whatever yeah. it was. Yeah, because he did whatever he was supposed to do. Exactly. You know, yep. so yeah, he got more leeway. Yeah, the more you can show me that you're yeah. responsible, then the more I'm going to treat you yeah. like an adult. Yeah. Like not allowing your child to swear is something you do with a child. Yeah. It, and I think there are some adults who act like children. Yeah. <laughs> and so if I have a 17-year-old who's acting like a child, then I'll treat him like a child. Yeah. But if I have a 14-year-old who's acting like an adult, then I'll treat him like an adult. Yeah. It depends on the kid. Yeah. I think, and every kid's probably going to be very different. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So that's it. Yeah. Do you want to tell everyone where they can find you? Yeah. Susan Niebergall Fitness, um, Instagram, YouTube. I got a book called uh, Fit at Any Age. It's never too late on Amazon. And uh, my podcast is the Strong and Lean at Any Age podcast. I love it. Well, Susan, I love you. Thank you for coming on. Uh, thank you. Love you. Have a wonderful day, and I'll talk to you soon.